Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. Book of Mark, chapter number six, as we are moving forward in our church this month, our mini-series of each month having a different emphasis of a place in our life spiritually where we should move forward and we're looking at moving forward in our church this month, obviously with the 10th anniversary, that's quite timely, but uh, I want to continue that thought here this morning as we are in Mark chapter number six. I will say I was different from most children growing up. Of course, I was an only child, so that makes me different in a lot of ways, uh, but uh, I was different from many children in the sense that Sunday morning for Several generations were made for cartoons. Uh, that's just kind of the way that it was. That many generations got up watching the Sunday or Saturday morning cartoons, rather. Uh, but when I got up on Saturday mornings, I never watched cartoons. I loved the infomercials. I mean, I just absolutely loved the infomercials. I miss that there's not as many infomercials on TV as there was. I think Amazon kind of killed the need for the infomercial. But, uh, I mean, I cut my teeth watching uh, Ron Popeil uh, take knives and cut through marble, but then that knife still being so good that you could still slice a tomato with it. I mean, I love that. Uh, food dehydrators and the uh, rotisserie grill where you could set it and... All right, some of you remember. All right, that's good. That's excellent. I mean, I'm... I'm amongst friends. I can feel it already. This is good. Uh, I love watching those infomercials. They take 30 minutes and show you every facet of this item and call now because in the next 15 minutes, if you call now, we're going to throw in this free uh, book of recipes and we're going to throw in this extra spit to go with the, uh, the uh, rotisserie and we're going to throw in uh, some extra Ginsu knives that we didn't sell last year uh, because uh, we got to get rid of those as well. And then you got to call right now and, uh, you know, don't forget shipping not included, you know, all those different things. I remember all those. That's what I love to watch. And I'll be honest with you this morning, the title of my message is this, Why Church? Why Church? And here's what I feel or fear will be the case this morning is that I don't want this to become an infomercial for church. Uh, one, because, well, I'm not Ron Popeil. And two, uh, because uh, God's church is far greater than something that would need an infomercial to be able to present it as something that is good and noble and right. God's church is the greatest force of good, I believe, uh, that is established here on this earth that Jesus Christ established uh, to be able to, well, be a light and to be salt in a dark world until he returns again. And that's what our mission is. And so when I say why church this morning, we preach on this, this is not an infomercial. This is not trying to quote unquote sell you on church, but rather I want to see what the Bible says and to remind us about why church is so important. You see, for some, being a Christian is one thing, but going to church is something completely different. It seems like there are many who would say, well, I'd love to go to heaven. I'd love to be a Christian, but church may be asking a little much. And for others, maybe going to church is one thing, but being an active member of a church is also something completely different. Well, sure, pastor, I'll come uh, once in a while. I'll be able to hang my shingle here at this church and call it my church. But I mean, I don't know that it's something that I really want to be very active in and be a part. I'm not a joiner. I'm just not someone who really gets involved with things. And I don't know that's something that I want to do uh, at any church, uh, Liberty Baptist Church or otherwise. And we live in a day and age where churches are no longer considered relevant by a lot of society. 
that churches have been discarded to the ash bin of history, that it's something for our grandparents and for our great-grandparents. But church is certainly not something that's important today. This is what society would tell us here in 2023. But yet I'm not trying to convince the world why the church is important today. That's not who I'm speaking to. I want to remind us here who are in this body today why a church, and maybe if we could put a finer point on it, why Liberty Baptist Church is so important and a vital part of this community and why I believe it's important to be part of a church and why I hope that you will understand that it's important to be a part and an active part of a local church. So that brings us to Mark chapter 6. If you please stand for the reading of God's Word, if you're able, and if not, please remain seated. But if you're able, Mark chapter 6, just in honor of God's Word, we'll begin reading in verse number 7. Where the Word of God says this, And he called unto him, and this is Jesus speaking, And he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits, and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no scrip, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals, and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into an house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out and preached that man should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them." And while verses number 7 through 12 never actually contain the word church, I believe the principle of the church and the principle of the importance and the mission of the church is all found right here in our text in Mark chapter 6. And that's what I'd like to look at with you this morning. You may be seated as we get into the word of God today. And considering the relevance of the church to culture, to Christianity, and to we as Christians this morning, we take time to consider this text here in Mark chapter 6. And there's several things that I see in this text quickly this morning. The first thing that I notice right off the bat in Mark chapter 6 is, number one, the creation of the church. The creation of the church. Now, you may be wondering why we're in Mark chapter 6 if we're talking about the origin, the beginning of the church. Maybe you would say this morning, it seems, Pastor, that it would be more appropriate for it to be in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, that would seem to be the day that many would present that the church uh, would have been uh, established. And while I do know that it's commonly preached and it's commonly taught that the church was established on the day of Pentecost, I believe that that would be more precisely the day of its empowerment, but not necessarily the day of its establishment. Now, this is not something that I would split fellowship with over with anyone or argue with anyone over, but I do believe there is an important distinction to be made that when Jesus called his disciples, that that would have been the gathering of the first church, which, by the way, had the best pastor that any church has ever had, not just the under-shepherd, hello, but the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, as the pastor. Could you imagine trying to get away with something with Jesus as your pastor? I know this. Peter didn't. Because Jesus always knew what Peter was doing. And so the church, I believe, would have been empowered at the day of Pentecost by the Holy Spirit. There's no doubt from looking at Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit empowered the day of Pentecost because Peter and the others who before were hiding in the upper room are now boldly preaching the word of God. 3,000 people got saved. 
but I believe it was Jesus who created the church, established the church, while they were still walking around for those three years together as he was ministering to those in Judea. There's one book uh, by E.C. Gillentine, which named, is called Baptist Doctrine, and it says, why a church before Pentecost? And it gives several reasons. Before Pentecost, a dead body had already been called out. Apostles had already been set in the body. The church had been commissioned to administer the ordinances. The church had observed ordinances, both baptism and the Lord's Supper. Jesus called this group a little flock. For it to have been a flock, uh, it would have had to have had a shepherd, a leader. The keys of the kingdom had already been turned over to Peter and authority was already in their hands before Pentecost. Uh, officers had been set in the church. They had a rule of discipline in Matthew chapter 18. They had a church role in Acts chapter 1. They had an ordained ministry. They had the same gospel and the same baptism before Pentecost that they had after Pentecost. They had the promise of Jesus that he was going to be with them to the end. They had the promise that he was coming back again. These are all things that happened before the day of Pentecost. In fact, if you go to Matthew 18, don't do that now, but you'll see that Jesus gives instructions if there's problems in a church. I know it's hard to believe that there could ever be problems in a church. Okay, I just want to make sure that's sunk in. All right, good. But, but it says in Matthew chapter 18 how to handle discrepancies or offenses that take place in the church. And at the end of that, in Matthew 18, 17, he says, well, if it doesn't work when you talk about it one-on-one, -on -one, and if it doesn't work when you bring a witness, here's what you do. Take it under the church. Now, if the church had not already been established, the group had not already been established, it would have been much more difficult for them to understand, to comprehend exactly what Jesus was talking about. But he was already telling them, you disciples will have problems with each other. When you do, this is how you remedy those things. And in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 got saved and baptized, and the Bible says they were added unto the church. If the church just start on the day of Pentecost, how could they be added to something that was just established that day? Now again, I I'm not saying these things to split fellowship with anyone or think that it's so important that we would have to break fellowship with someone that believed that Pentecost was the day that the church started. However, I would say that there are very real implications to the church starting before Pentecost. Here's one of them, for example. If the church started after the day of Pentecost, then when Jesus gave the Great Commission, and remember he gave forms of the Great Commission in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, different forms of the same commission. If he gave that commission and the, the church was not established yet, he gave that commission to the disciples. And when the disciples died, then, well, the commission would have also died. But however, because the commission was given to the church, we're part of the church, guess what? That commission, that great commission, is as much force today as it was when those disciples were on the hillside 2,000 years ago. And what a blessing that is for us to have that commissioning, which we'll look at in just a moment as well. But I believe here in Mark 6 that we see, as well as in Mark chapter 3 that we'll look at in just a moment as well, just this general time period that there are members being called to the church, they're saved, baptized people, who are being placed in this ecclesia, this local assembly that is called the church. But it's not just the creation of the church that I see here, but I also see, as I just mentioned, the calling of the church as well. And that comes back to the beginning of our text, and it says in verse number 7, and he called unto him the twelve. Now, I believe in one way that meant that he called them over to himself. Like, here, you twelve, you men, I want to talk to you. Come over here. There's something I want to talk to you about. I'm about to send you on a mission. I want you to come here. But I believe he wasn't just saying that he was calling them over, like, hey, come over for a second. I want to talk to you. He was also, could we put it this way, laying a calling upon them that was a calling that was given by himself, Jesus Christ, and for himself. So he was laying a calling upon their life. Now, I will say this. Here's this first church, 
And what do they have? I believe they have a calling laid upon their life. By the way, whether you believe the church started here or in, in Pentecost, you could not deny the fact that there was a calling laid upon those people who were part of that church. And by the way, the calling wasn't just upon the pastoral ministry. The calling was upon all. The Great Commission was given to all. Again, we'll look at that again in just a moment. But this calling was laid upon everybody. There are sometimes people who will say something like this, Pastor, you know, you're a pastor and so you have a calling. And certainly that is true that as a pastor, I have a specific pastoral calling. But yet do you realize that the calling of the sake of the gospel has been laid upon all of us? It's been laid upon all of us. It's not just a pastoral calling, but the gospel, uh, the, the, uh, the calling to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Romans chapter 10, how beautiful are the feet of them that proclaim the gospel. And listen, there's not much beautiful about feet. I thought everyone would say amen at that, but that's all right. Uh, but, but the idea is this, uh, despite that, it's beautiful when someone fulfills the calling that God has put on their life and they go out with those feet that God's given them to give the gospel to someone else. That's a beautiful thing. John 4, 34 says this, Jesus saith unto them, the same disciples, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And if that was the calling of Jesus Christ and we're to be Christ-like, then that calling must be laid upon us. That what is our meat? What is our drink, if you will? Man, it's to do the calling of God and to not just start it, but to finish it. To not just start it, but to fulfill it. This isn't a job. This isn't a nine to five. This isn't a charity. This isn't a chore. Uh, no, what this is, is a calling that God has laid upon each and every one of us. I just mentioned in Sunday school a few days ago, uh, there were, Brother Vince and I went down to Taunton and we're going out and handing out tracts. And we don't do that to go stir up trouble in the sense that uh, we're going out and you know arguing with people and fist fighting with people or anything like that. I find just handing someone a track and saying, I just want to give you some good news about Jesus Christ. There's been a lot of people, more than I even expected, that are actually very positive about that and smiling about it. And, and, and it's been very good in a lot of ways. And I mentioned that as we were driving in uh, just a few days ago, that right in front of the courthouse in Taunton, there were Jehovah Witnesses who were standing there. And so uh, I was not going to engage with them. I don't always engage with them, but I just felt as I was walking by, I had the tracks in my hand. The Lord says, go talk to them. And when I go talk to a Jehovah Witness, my, my typical way of doing so is not to say, uh, you, know, uh, you know, scream at them or anything like that. Um, I do that later. No, I'm just kidding. No, I don't. That's not, no, I, that's not how we do it. Honestly, what I usually do is I'll go up to them and I say, you know, if I was to just take one piece of literature off of this rack, which would you suggest for me? And so they'll go through and they'll explain several of them and they'll hand me one. And I said, you know, I appreciate that. I said, and I will read it. And by the way, when I tell them that, I read it because you don't tell someone that. It's kind of like telling someone you'll pray for them. Okay, I may have stepped on a toe or two there. All right, but, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to read it because I told them I'm going to read it. And by the way, I'm not afraid of reading it because I know the truth of the Word of God. So I said, well, you know, I appreciate you giving me this. I would like to give you a piece of literature too, and I might as well have handed them a live snake. I mean, that, that's what it would, first of all, I wouldn't have handled a live snake because it's a snake. But secondly, that's what it would, would have, uh, that's how they reacted. And there were two that I was talking to. We're having a conversation. I mentioned to them, you know, one of the ways that I usually start the conversation is, you know, how would you explain that uh, Thomas, uh, when he saw Jesus resurrected, he calls him Lord and God, my Lord and my God. I said, and, you know, Jesus didn't rebuke him for that. In fact, he received that and told him that, you know, what he had before was not faith, but, you know, that uh, now he is not doubting and faithless, but now he is understanding. But more blessed are those who believe without seeing. 
And so I talk about that, and instead of answering that, they say, well, what about this over here? And I kind of kept wanting to say, well, but what about these questions that I'm asking? You're not answering them. So we, we were talking, and eventually there was a lady in the back who wasn't saying anything. And I saw her face just kind of went from the pleasant smile, and it never really turned at once. It just slowly drooped over the next five minutes until it got to, and again, pleasant conversation. No, nobody, I'm not yelling, we're not anything, we're just, hey, you know, what do you think about this? And what do you think about this? And finally, she starts packing up the stuff on the watchtower, and she goes, you know what? This is what she said. It's the end of our shift. We've got to go. It's the end of our shift. We need to go. And she's packing up, and I'm still trying to talk about this. Brother Vince now come over. We're just trying to talk. Just trying to talk. And it's like, we're packing up. We're out of here, man. Like, you, you can stay here, but we're leaving. And that was it. And we I mean, I wasn't trying to run them off their turf. That was never the, that was never the point, but that's what happened. And so, I, but I found that I kept coming back to this, Brother Vincent. We talked about this, this thought, I'm at the end of my shift. I got to go. No, I'm busy. That's the end of my shift. I'll tell you this. If someone came up to me and had any question about salvation, even if maybe they were a bit of a skeptic, I would try to talk as long as I could, as long as we're having an honest conversation with one another. Uh, I would be glad to. But you know what that communicated to me? This wasn't a calling. It was a job. And by the way, Jehovah Witness doctrine would teach, you have to keep doing that to earn God's goodness. And if you don't, you have no hope of heaven. And when you die, you still don't have hope of heaven. That's the end of my shift. You know, we have something far greater that's been laid upon us a calling, a holy calling that God has laid upon us. He called them disciples. He, he sent them out and he sent them out by twos. You know, everything Jesus Christ did was wise because he is the embodiment of all wisdom. But think about the wisdom of sending people out by twos. He sent them out so they'd never be alone. They could help each other. Uh, they could learn from one another. Uh, they could rejoice together at victories and they could even lick their wounds when there were defeats. You know, there are times we take courage when there's someone with us. I don't know that I necessarily, I have difficulty handing out tracts when I'm by myself uh, out in a, in a place that's open, like maybe in Taunton or in Brockton or other places. But when I'm in a group, you know what happens? The group brings courage. Now, the Holy Spirit is the one who ultimately gives the courage. But here's Jesus sending them out. He's calling them with a holy calling. Do you realize Jesus says there's power in the group? Well, what's the church? There's power in the group. Now, the power comes from him. The power is not that we just conjure it up within ourselves and together within us. No, because God has given us the ability to be able together with the same calling. That's why church is so important, because he's laid a calling upon us to give the gospel. We're not here as a social club. We're not just here to fill up your calendar. We're not just here because we got nothing better to do on Sunday or because we don't have yard work to do or we don't have painting to do or we don't have. Well, actually, I live in an apartment. I don't have any of those to do. But anyway, um, because we don't have this. Thank you, David. I like that guy. All right. Thanks, David. So uh, I'm afraid to go to their house now. All right. But, uh, but, but I do know this. It's because we have a holy calling that's laid upon us. And it's not about just what can we get while we're here. It's about what we can do because God's given us a calling. And think about, by the way, think about who he called. Did he call the elite? Did he call the ruling class? 
the rich and the powerful. No, he bypassed them and he took humble fishermen. Uh, he took the offscouring of society, the most rich one that maybe you could say, the one with the most financial benefit in his life uh, would have been Matthew, the tax collector, and he would have been the one that was most despised by those who were there of his own people. And he took what we would call the offscouring of the world and he laid the calling upon them. You don't have to do this now, but you can go later to, to, to Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 19, and you'll see those names, and you'll see the calling. And to be honest with you, I could have preached from that text just as well as Mark chapter 6. But the idea of the names, Peter, James, John. Think of John the Beloved. He was a son of thunder. He was a man that I believe in many ways couldn't keep his temper. Oh, pastor, that's not true. Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven and kill him? Those were his disciples. He laid that calling upon him. But it's the same calling he's laid upon us as just humble servants, as just weak. Clay that he's taken and he will use us. You realize what an amazing thing that is? And then he put us together and give us a calling in a place that's called the church. It's a great thing. And the third thing I see is not just the creation and the calling of the church, but the third is like unto it. It's the commissioning of the church. He gave them that calling, but then he sent them out to do it. Well, what did they do? Well, go back to verse number seven. It says, and he called unto them the 12 and began to send them forth by two and two and gave them power over unclean spirit. He didn't just gave them a, give them a calling, he gave them a power to fulfill that calling and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse, uh, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, in what place soever ye enter into an house and there abide till ye depart from that place, and whatsoever shall not receive you, and whosoever rather shall not receive you, nor hear you when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah and the day of judgment than for your city. And they went out and preached that man should repent. Could we put it this way? They went out and preached the gospel message. The repentance, uh, the, the message of repentance towards God uh, and faith in Jesus Christ. And, and so he sent them. That word sent is the word apostello in Greek. It's where we get apostle. An apostle is simply this, one who was sent. And he sent them not just for the purpose of sending them, but he sent them with a purpose. He commissioned them just like a ship uh, before it goes out of the harbor is given a commission, meaning this, we're not just sending the ship out to do whatever it wants to do. It's going out to fulfill a particular purpose. A fishing vessel is not commissioned to go out to battle, nor is a battleship commissioned to go out and fish in the great depths. No, it's given a job, it's sent, but it's given that job to stay in that particular field to do what it's commissioned to do. And we're here not to just say, what do you think church should be? What do you think church should be? And what would you like church to be? No, we've been given the sending by God, but he's also commissioned us to go out and preach his gospel, to go out with power, with authority. Now, I will say this, our calling looks a little different or commissioning looks a little different today than it did before. That We're not given power to cast out unclean spirits. That's not something uh, that's required of us today. And for several different reasons, we have the completed word of God today, those miracles that they did to authenticate their ministry, that they were from Jesus Christ. 
we can be authenticated now by the Word of God. Amen. To know that I'm preaching straight, you don't have to say, hey, pastor, do a miracle. Nothing up my sleeve. So I did watch some cartoons. Never mind. But, uh, <laughs> but you know how you can authenticate what I say? Go to the Word of God. That's how you... And listen, let God be true and every man a liar. If I say it and it's in the Word of God, then it's so. Not because I said it, but because it's in the Word of God. And if the vice versa is the same, if I'm not saying it straight and true, then, then I need to know from the word of God that I'm not. Uh, but we're commissioned, uh, we're sent, and they were sent out to go. You know, when I see this commissioning, there was an urgency. He said that he needed to go, and he sent them out quickly, that he needed to go. Do you know that urgency is still true today? There are souls that are dying and going to hell, even today. The field is white in the harvest, meaning if you don't pick it right now, it's going to die. It's white on the harvest. It's urgency. They were given power. Now, like I just mentioned, we may not have the same power in the sense that it manifests itself the same way today, but at the same time, we have the same Holy Spirit who will give us the power to fill. Well, pastor, I could never do this and I could never do that. Well, you can't, but God can. You can't fulfill that calling, but God can. What a cruel God would give you a calling. He would commission you and then tell you, do it on your own, even though I know you don't have the resources to do it. That would be a cruel God who would do that. But no, a, a, a kind, loving, and benevolent God says, not only will I give you this commissioning, I'm going to give you apostolic power. Not, not that we're apostles, but the idea of uh, that we are sent forth with that power to be able to go. We're not apostles. I'm not an apostle uh, in the sense of what we see in the New Testament. But he's given us the same Holy Spirit the apostles had. Think about that for a second. The same Holy Spirit that the apostles had if you're saved, lives within you today. There was to be total dependence upon God. Don't take your stuff. Don't pack for, for a five-week journey. Just take what you can and go and do the work. Do you know today, that's what we do. We have to totally depend on God for whatever we do for Him. Uh, and it also makes it clear they were going to encounter hospitality and hostility. They were going to encounter friend and foe. And we'll find the same today too, won't we? There'll be many who are hospitable to the gospel. Even if they don't get saved, they want to hear it. They won't get saved that very minute, but they want to hear the word of God. There are some that don't want anything to do with the word of God. That's true 2,000 years ago, and it's true today. But despite those who don't want to hear, and despite those who reject us, the commission's still the same. We go and we preach. We go and we give the gospel. Uh, one commentator put it this way, we do not want a church that will move with the world. We want a church that will move the world. We do not want a church that will move with the world. We want a church that will move the world. Luke 10, 17, and the 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Meaning the power wasn't in them. The power was totally in God. And that's true today as well. So we see number one, the creation of the church. Number two, the calling of the church. Number three, the commissioning of the church. Number four, and finally this morning, the current state of the church. Pastor, that was all 2,000 years ago, but we live in 2023. What does this have to do with us today? Well, these are all things that are just as true today and just as true at this very hour as they were when Jesus walked with his disciples with the first church 2,000 years ago. Neither this day nor Christ's day was the time for free agents where there are people who are acting on their own within their own power. He said, I'm sending you as a group, but yet I'm sending you in smaller groups and you're going out together and doing the work. And I'm not saying that someone on their own apart from a church couldn't lead someone to Christ or someone apart from a church couldn't do a, a good thing for the Lord. I'm not suggesting that this morning. What I'm saying is that God has ordained the church 
in every generation, uh, not just for our generation, not just in the generations before, uh, but even in the generations beyond until Jesus comes, to be the feet of the gospel, that we are to do so. Listen, you can't read the New Testament by taking the church out of it. What do you have left? You and you take all the verses about the church and the people that are in the church and the letters that are read to the church and even the Revelation uh, talks about in the first three chapters. There's uh, letters that are written to local churches. Listen, you take the church out, what's left? It's almost like Jesus is saying the church is a vital part of every person's Christian life. And so as such, we want to be what God wants us to be together so we can reach this world for Jesus Christ. What do we do today? The current state of the church? Well, we must still preach the message of repentance. I just mentioned to you Acts 20, 21, testifying both to the Jews and also the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Repenting of our sin, realizing that that sinful nature, those sinful ways, that old way of living uh, will do nothing but give us a ticket straight to hell. But yet that it was Jesus Christ who died on the cross so that we didn't have to pay that penalty. He paid the penalty for us. And because of that, we can have life everlasting. And so that was the message 2,000 years ago. They went out and preached it and people believed. And today we preach the same message. The message hasn't changed. We go out and preach it. People believe. People go to heaven. And then before they get to heaven, they gather together. They congregate together in congregations like this. And what do they do? They go out and find more people that they can hear the message and that they can get saved. And this is what it's all about. Now listen, I know what church is and I know what church isn't. By the way, going to church doesn't make you saved. Billy Sunday said this years ago, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you an automobile. And I like that. Just the act of going to church doesn't save you. Uh, but at the same time, the church should be the mouthpiece of the gospel today, which means if we're a member of the church, that we are to be the mouthpieces of the gospel because the church, as was well said last Sunday afternoon by Brother Rocky Harrell, that the church is not this building, that the church last Sunday wasn't here. It was out in the parking lot. And the church this morning is inside this building. And if we convene somewhere else next week, that's where the church would be. The church is not where the sign is, and the church is not where the address is, and the church is not where, it's where you and I gather together to fulfill the calling and the commissioning that God's put on our life, and it's still true today. By the way, do you know the gospel message today? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because I would say this before we even go any further. There would give us nothing, there could be nothing that could give us greater pleasure than to know that there was someone here today that was not saved who realize their need. that we see in Acts chapter 20. To see that message, by the way, that started from Genesis 1-1 and went all the way to Revelation 22-21. To see that same message all the way through from cover to cover. That's what this Bible is all about. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you don't have assurance that when you die, did you go to heaven? That maybe even just like the Jehovah Witness, maybe you're not believing the same belief, but it's the same end result that you're just working and working and working and you don't know at the end of this life what's going to happen. Well, does God communicate those types of issues to us in his word? And the answer is not only does he, but he tells us how we can know for sure that we're going to heaven. And it's through this repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's what we continue to preach today. Turn, if you will, uh, we're getting ready to finish, Ephesians chapter 4. 
Ephesians chapter number 4. I'm getting hungry and we got something in the, uh, in the, uh, the rotisserie. We got to get going, so no. Um, yeah. Yeah, we, uh, no, I know. I said it on purpose. So, it's all right. Yeah, so, <laughs> if, uh, yeah, if, if, yeah, so, right. So, we, we need to finish. All right. So, Ephesians 4. 11, uh, yeah, I'd say all God's people could say amen to that. Okay, Ephesians 4, 11. And he gave some apostles. By, by the way, who is he? It's the same Christ that we were talking about in Mark chapter 6. And he, and you can go back up in the verses above, do this later, and you'll see it's very clearly talking about Christ. And he gave some apostles, sent ones, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For what purpose? The perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Although not all those offices are still being fulfilled today, uh, all of those issues are still being presented for us today. The perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ. How long is the church supposed to do these things? Till we all come in the unity of the faith. Well, <laughs> that's not going to happen until Jesus comes back. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lay in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to its effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. He says, we're going to work together as a church body. We're going to work together for one cause and one purpose. And each part of the body supplies energy to other parts of the body. We work together for one cause, for one purpose, until Jesus Christ comes back. Why church? Because God has put us all together to be able to work together as a body to do more as a body than we could do individually. How much can your heart do on its own? How much can your leg do on its own without the heart? How much can your nervous system do without the pulmonary system? How much can your brain do without the rest of the body? Uh, how much can your body do without the... Well, anyway, but uh, how, how much can, can any of it do divorced from the other parts? The answer is there's very little it can do, if anything it can do. But when it's put together, we're fearfully and wonderfully made in a way that boggles even the most uh, highest scientific minds today. And isn't that the same for his church? Why should people from various backgrounds, from various ways of living, various ways that they lived before they got saved, in ways that the world would say, these people shouldn't even get together, let alone be able to do the same thing. But God does something miraculous within the church to be able to bring us together. You know, when I think of the church, it's because of the ministry of the church I heard the gospel. It's because of the church that I heard the gospel preached. It's because of the church that I found the friends that I have today. Oh, no, not those friends in the world that were here one day and gone the next, but I mean friends that would stick closer than a brother, the book of Ecclesiastes said. It was the church in the hours of my greatest needs 
that was there to help me and to have people pray for me. And even just a few years ago when I had that surgery uh, in 2021 with my, with my tumor, that there were people praying all over the world for me. Why? Because there were churches that lifted up my name to the throne of God. And I'm never going to get over that. And the only way that I'll get close is by taking that energy that was put into me and for our church to be able to give that to others as well, to be able to help others when they have times of need and times of distress. But I look back at my Christian life and the greatest blessings that I have, God distributed to me through his church. So in the end, it's really not why church. To be honest with you, it's why not church. Why wouldn't you be part of a loving environment where there are people who are not perfect, who are not perfect, who don't always get along with one another, but yet by the grace of God will covenant with each other that this church that was created, this church that was called, this church that was commissioned still has value in the current state of our nation and the current state of our world. And there's no other institution that I would rather be a part of than God's local church. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org, or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in his word.